0: As we look at 1 John 1, look with me at verse 5, we'll read down through verse number 10. The Bible says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and the Word is not in us. We're going verse by verse to the book of John. The title of the message this evening is a follow-up on last week's message. It's this, the conditions... fellowship, the conditions of fellowship. We want to have fellowship with the Lord, and we want to have fellowship with each other. But unfortunately, many of us do not have fellowship. Um, Oftentimes, we are uh, caught up in living in private, secret sins that are stymieing and preventing us from fellowship, and fellowship is not a given. We have a fellowship song, Where we shake hands, we'll have a fellowship meal after church. You can shake someone's hand and eat at that meal and still not have fellowship. The Bible here lays out what those conditions are. We're going to look at those very carefully this evening. And uh, just ask, let's do this while we pray this evening. Ask that God would show you an area where you uh, have a sin living in the shadow of your heart. The Lord would help you to see that and deal with it this evening and so that you can have a pure and more real and rich relationship with with, with the Lord and fellowship with Him and each other. Let's pray this evening. Lord, help us as we look at these truths in the Bible. Lord, um, these are verses that I don't know that I understood quite as clearly as before. Uh, I do now as before. Uh, I studied them. And so, Lord, help us to all have that same clarity of understanding. And, Lord, help us to be challenged. Uh, Help us to be challenged to live for you, to do what's right. And Lord, to seek to walk in the light. and Lord, not to pretend as though we're walking in the light while really living in sin. Lord, help us to be people who care about exposure, who care about truth, who care about doing uh, the right thing all the time. And Lord, when we fail, help us to run to your uh, throne room and confess it and forsake it and find forgiveness. Help us, Lord, this evening to set aside the cares of this world, the fatigue uh, Lord, many have served today in ministries, uh, whether they rode a bus or uh, taught a class or conducted a, uh, uh, something with our, our music program. Many are weary, but Lord, help us to have the attention we need to be able to get what we can from your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, to set the stage for the uh, message this evening, let's go back and look at the first four verses of John. So that we better are prepared for it. Look back with me in First John chapter one and verse one. It says, "That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye uh, ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly." Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Uh, We saw how that God is, last week, our Maker. We saw how that God is our Maker. Look back at verse 1. Notice there it says, that which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Uh, Pastor Morales sent this to me after uh, the the service last week. I wish he would have sent it to me prior to the service. I would have used it, but that's okay. We're going to throw it in here now. Uh, This is clever. The Lord Jesus... Jesus didn't start when start got started. He started to start. He is the beginner who began the beginning before the beginning beginning began to be. That was so complicated. I can't even read it off the paper. Let me read that last part again. He is the beginner who began the beginning before the beginning began to be. He is eternal. He is ageless. He has all the authority to tell us how to live and what to do, not only because he made us, but because he has saved us. He is our maker. Not only did he make us, he made the fellowship between us and him, you and him, me and him, and between uh, that we have with each other as brothers and sisters in, in him. And so he created fellowship. I, I am of the opinion, and again, I'll express this as my opinion, but I'm of the opinion that God made Adam and Eve because he longed to have fellowship, uh, uh, intimate fellowship with his own creation. He made Adam and Eve different than he made the animals. He gave them a moral conscience and a moral choice so that every day Adam and Eve walked past that tree and chose not to eat it uh, he could have fellowship, perfect fellowship with Him. And then God gave Adam and Eve children, and here we are all of these millennia later. We're all the children of Adam and Eve. We're all, uh, some of us are different colors and from different families and backgrounds, but we're all related. We're all one race, the human race, and God wants us who have been redeemed to have fellowship with each other. He is the maker of fellowship. Last week, We looked at our maker. We also looked at his manifestation. Look back at verse 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Verse 2. For the life was manifested, manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Now, this will play in the sermon this evening, but Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship with God. they had a perfect marriage. They had perfect fellowship with each other. Never once did Adam uh, uh, usurp his authority in a way. In fact, he really didn't have authority prior to the fall, but never once was Adam rude or mean or condescending toward Eve, and never once did Eve nag Adam. All the men in here, can I get an amen about not being nagged? Amen? Uh, There was no honey-do list in the Garden of Eden prior to sin, and Uh, um, uh, I heard someone say one time, well, uh, where would men be without women? And the answer is still in the Garden of Eden. That's exactly where we'd be. We'd still be living in perfection, and all the women are not going to listen to anything I say the rest of the message. That's a joke, folks. That's a joke. Um, But uh, where um, uh, Adam and Eve had a perfect marriage, and they had fellowship with each other, they had fellowship with the Lord, and then sin entered the picture, and fellowship was broken. And so what did God do to rectify the situation? He took his only begotten son, and he wrapped him in flesh. He picked the womb of a virgin woman named Mary, and he sent Jesus here. And Jesus became a man, and uh, he uh, selected 12 disciples who He were really his inner circle, and then an even deeper inner circle in Peter, James, and John. And what did he do? He showed them what fellowship looked like. He showed them what fellowship was supposed to be, both how to commune with God and how to commune with each other. Horizontal, but first vertical. And here we have the manifestation of fellowship. Number three, we looked at our message. Verse three says, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. We made the point last week that if you've really spent time fellowshipping with Jesus, you can't help but tell others about him. You don't have to worry about being shy or having all the answers. It's, look, I don't, I can't answer every question you have, and I don't know all, how to dot all my theological I's and cross all my theological T's, but this one thing I know, once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Let me take you to the one who knows everything, including my sin, the one that saved my soul. I have seen and I have heard the Lord, and I must declare him unto you. And then number four, last week we looked at our meaning. What is the purpose of fellowship? The purpose of fellowship, look at verse 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. I sat on the couch of a family that does not attend our church uh, very often this past Tuesday, and you, none of you here would know them, but they, um, uh, they're they having some issues with their teenage son. And so I sat there on the couch with them and their teenage son, and I, I said to them, I, I asked the teenage son, I, I said, life is all about relationships. How are your relationships? How is your relationship with your parents? Not very good. How was your relationship with your teachers at school? Not very good. Uh, what kind of grades are you making? I'm not even trying. Well, how are your relationship with the kids at school? Well, I get bullied and picked on. I said, then, your life must be pretty crummy. And he said, my life stinks. My life is terrible. I didn't ask him, how was your relationship with God? Because I could see right through how his relationship was with God. You see here in this verse... We have a trifold relationship. There's with each other mentioned first, but where does this relationship work? It works first when our relationship with God the Father and God the Son is right. God the Father and God the Son is right. Last week we compared that to a bicycle chain. And we said if you don't have the chain on the front spoke... It's not going to be on the back spoke. Or on the front wheel, it's not going to be on the back wheel. And you can't have fellowship this way if it's broken this way. And you can't have fellowship this way if it's broken this way. And so we need to make sure that we're walking with the Lord and we're walking right with each other. If you are holding a grudge against someone, even if they mistreated you, if you're uh, uh, carrying a hurt in your heart and you're not dealing with that and you're allowing that thing to fester and boil... I promise you your prayers are bouncing around the room, and they're not landing in the ears of the Lord. He has shut you out. He's not listening to you, and you need to make sure that you have those connections right. We also looked at our contentment, and he says in verse 4, he says, The reason why we declare this to you is that we want your joy to be full. Nothing is better. Life is not any better than when my relationship with the Lord is right. And my relationship with my wife and children are right. And my relationship with the church staff is right. And my relationship with my brothers and sisters are right. I have laid in bed at night and I have lost sleep over a broken relationship with a brother or sister in the Lord. And asking God, how do I repair it? And how do I, uh, how do I, uh, rectify it? And how do I reconcile? Especially when that person doesn't want to reconcile with me. How do I go about fixing this? And the Bible tells us as much as possible, or as much as life within you live peaceably with all men you do your part you do your best and at some point you have to leave that thing with the lord but we see here that if we will have a solid connection with the lord and a solid connection with our siblings then we will be content. Well, that was last week's message and that was a, a a a talk up about fellowship. Let me give you a definition for fellowship if I could. This evening I looked in an old English dictionary that would have come from about the time the King James version of the Bible was translated into English and here is how the word fellowship is defined. Communion, intimate familiarity. Communion, intimate familiarity. It is a, it is two people who share the same spiritual and social Fabric. They are aiming for the same thing and the deeper they are united in their goals and desires, what you find is the deeper they become, uh, uh, the deeper fellowship they enjoy. They, they challenge each other to reach the goal, to meet the mark. How do we find that fellowship? We find that fellowship when we walk with God and that uh, walk is unimpeded by sin. It is walking with others so as to sharpen each other spiritually. It is guiding each other through the hard times. It is praying for each other. It is being open and honest with each other for the sake of carrying each other's names to the Lord in prayer. Fellowship comes from being honest about who I am with God. It is being compliant to the process, to His process of sanctification, being worked by the Holy Spirit of God within my heart and then helping to, be, uh, to, to, to bear my brother's burdens. It's looking and saying, I want you to make me exactly who you want me to be, Lord, and I want to help my brother get there as well. And I'm willing to pray for him. Uh, I'm willing to love him. I'm willing to, to go back to this morning's sermon, show compassion on him and bear his or her hurts. So this evening, we're going to look at the second half of 1 John 1, and we're going to look at four thoughts on this idea idea of the conditions placed on our fellowship. Notice number one from the outline this evening, notice God's description. God's description. Look down with me at first John chapter one and verse number five. When I pause, read the next three words together with me. Ready? This then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. God is light. Now, God the Father and God the Son are described as being light. John chapter 8 uh, verse 12, Jesus says here, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. But shall have the light of light. In heaven, there will be no darkness because God, the light, will fill every corner of heaven. Uh, Revelation 22, 5 says this, and there shall be, uh, and there shall be no night there and they shall, uh, there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Picture a God sitting on a throne in heaven and he is light. His light is so bright that it fills every corner of heaven. And if you've studied the Bible and you know how big heaven it is, wow, that is a big God and that is a bright God. He is light. In Him is no darkness at all. Uh, uh, Light represents what is good, just, and right. Darkness represents what is evil and destructive. Let me say that again. Light represents what is good, just, and right. Darkness represents what is evil and destructive. John chapter 3 verse 19 says this, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Why do men love darkness rather than light? Because their deeds are evil. Uh, uh, Sin thrives in the shadows. Sin thrives in the shadows. Where, uh, w- When are homes usually burglarized? When are banks generally, or the, the vaults of banks, robbed? They're robbed. Or they're, the uh, Thievery happens under the shadow of night. Murders happen under the shadow of night. And we see here that sin thrives in the darkness. Now, let me just say this here, that if you've had something bad happen to you, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God did not do that evil to you. Now, God may have taken His hand of protection away like He did on Job and allowed Satan to do the evil to you, but God has a purpose and a plan for that. God is light. Let's look at a description of light this evening. Notice letter A, light's preeminence. Light's preeminence. Darkness is the absence of light. When light enters a space, darkness disappears. Darkness cannot exist Where light desires to be. If we were to turn all the lights off in the auditorium this evening outside of the lights that would be coming in through the windows, darkness would fill up this room rather quickly. But as soon as the light switches were turned back on, darkness would have no choice but to leave. Why? light carries the preeminence light is the deciding factor darkness cannot drive light away light drives darkness away why because light is superior light is preeminent over darkness light is uh, the choice uh, 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 the choice uh, of the two and so light is preeminent God is more powerful than Satan Satan represents darkness and God represents light his righteousness drives away evil it pushes it out of the shadows, it makes the shadow go away because light is preeminent. Letter B, notice light's purification. Light's purification. Now, UVC light, one of the three types of ultraviolet light, is commonly used. In air purification, when properly utilized, the invisible form of light can safely kill germs, mold, mildew, and in some cases, even bacteria and viruses, because that is the power of light. It has the power to purify. Back before we had washing machines that worked the way they do today and uh, the common laundry system. And even still today, some folks do this. They will hang clothes out to dry Outside. How many of you ladies and or men that do the laundry hang your clothes up outside? And what you'll see is that there is a, there is a scent that you get from clothes that are hung outside. And, uh, uh, there are people who use light to, to clean something, help clean something up as part of that. But on a more practical standpoint, when we talk about lights purification, it, listen, if I want to clean a room, I turn all the lights on as bright as I can. If I was going to come in here tonight after the service and after everyone left and I was going to vacuum this room, I wouldn't do it in the dark. I couldn't do it in the dark. I'd run into chairs. I'd uh, run into furniture. I'd, I wouldn't see all the dirt. I'd turn on the lights afterwards and find all kinds of corners that had crud in it. If I wanted to get ready in the morning, I wouldn't walk into my bathroom and leave the lights off. No, I have tried to brush my hair in the dark, and it doesn't come out real well. I have tried washing myself in the dark. It doesn't come out real well, and we need light to see where the air is, and when the light gets turned on, that that's when the cleanup can begin. Let me just say to you, Christian, you are called to be salt and light, Jesus lays out for us in Matthew 5. Can I tell you why many Christians don't enjoy being a light? They rather hide it under a bushel because light in your face hurts. It hurts. You ever had somebody turn the lights on uh, lights on in a room to full bright while you were asleep? That's not fun, is it? Uh we have two light switches in our room. One is to some some uh wall sconces that are very dim, and the other one is just full blown bright and uh to to a light bulb that hangs right over our bed. And uh if, if I go to bed before Angela, Angela goes to bed before me or one of us is asleep, listen I have a hard time remembering what switch does what. And I come in that room, and I, I'm i a boy. I got a 50-50 shot at getting this light right and turning the right one on. I don't want to wake up my wife. That would not be good. And and uh, 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 and sometimes you turn on the wrong one. Nobody likes light coming in their face and waking them up. And listen, when someone is living in darkness and sin, and they're enjoying their darkness and sin, and here you come, Christian, to work with the song of the Lord in your voice. You're singing one of the songs that Pastor Morales let us in. The uh, uh, Let us in on sunday you come in on monday with that song in your voice and you sit down at the break room and you open up the light of god's word and you begin to read it you know what it does it begins to irritate people who don't want the light Hey, turn that light off. I like my sin. Turn that light off. I don't want my sin exposed. I don't want to see who I really am. That's why the Bible has been pushed out of the courtrooms. That's why the Bible has been pushed out of schools. That's why the Bible is discouraged uh, in all facets of our society because they don't want that bright light exposing the sin which they live in. What does light do? It purifies. It gives us the chance to clean things up. Let her see. Lights production lights production. Trees and plants take sunlight and through the process of photosynthesis Turn sunlight into vegetation. When you pluck an apple or an orange or uh, even um, a vegetable, a green bean sprout off of its vine or off of its stalk or off of that tree and you place that in your mouth, you are in part eating sunlight. You're eating sunlight. Uh, that soil has taken the sunlight as it's hit it and it's turned that sunlight into edible Food that you can enjoy. Not only does it produce things that are edible, it produces things that are beautiful. And when we let the light of God's Word shine brightly into our lives, when we walk in that light, not only uh, uh, do we give Him the preeminence, not only are we purified and cleaned up, we also begin to produce the fruits of the Spirit for the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance. These are the nine fruits that I want evidenced in my life. Notice next, a letter D, light's path, light's path. Psalm 119, 105 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I've heard people say, Pastor, how could I know the unknown will of God? How am I, a teenager will ask, how am I to know who I, who I am to marry or where I'm to go off to college or what career path I'm to take? Uh, uh, you'll have someone who's grown and already in a career path have a job opportunity offered to them, even whether it's across town or across the country. Am I supposed to take that job? Uh, am I supposed to uh, 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 refinance my mortgage? and all of the many decisions that we make. How am I to know that? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and it is a light unto my path. Jesus Christ is the living word. Uh, We looked at this last week. Jesus Christ is the living word, and the Bible is the written word. We obey the known will of God, and he leads us to the unknown will of God. If I were to leave here this evening to head home and I would need to get on Route 8, I usually go down Chapel to Jones Farm and Jones Farm down to um, uh, the inn and I take a right and, and take a left and then get on there at exit 12 over by the BP station. The Bible gives us the back roads in the Word. That's the known will of God. And when we do those, we wake up one day and that, that on-ramp to the unknown will of God is right in front of us. It's very clear what we're to do. Why? Because we are obeying the light. I heard my father use this illustration many times. He got it from the pastor that I got saved under. But if I were to go out in the parking lot this evening and I were to see Brother Kyle sitting in the parking lot out here in his car, everyone's gone. It's 930 at night and he's just sitting there with his car on, hands on a steering wheel, uh, headlights on. I say, Brother Kyle, are you going to go home? He says, I'm going to go home as soon as I can see the path all the way home. And I say, Brother Kyle, what are you talking about? Are your headlights on? Well, of course they're on, but I, I can only see uh, uh, 15, 20 feet and I can't see how to get all the way there and I see with a Kyle. You use the light given and then new light is given to you. You use that and all of a sudden more light is given to you. And you use that until you get all the way home and you park your car and then you walk inside. And Christian, you cannot be paralyzed because you cannot see the unknown will of God. You must follow the light that's given god's description uh, uh not only did john make it clear uh jesus christ made it clear that god is light jesus is light number 2 notice god's desire god's desire go back with me to 1 john chapter 1 notice letter a our talk our talk 1 john chapter 1 verse number 6 says this if we say if we say we have fellowship with him, look down at verse number eight, first John chapter one and verse number eight. If we say that we have no sin, verse 10, if we say that we have no sin, I'm going to give you a and B and then we'll tie them together here. Notice letter B, our walk. Our walk. So our talk and our walk. Look at First John chapter 1 and look at verse number 6. If we say that we have no fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. There's a, a, a very true uh, uh, thing. A very There's a truth that is uh, uh, present in all of us this evening. All of us are walking and all of us are talking. All of us are walking and all of us are talking. I don't mean that you're going to get up this evening and walk out of here and talk to other people on the way out. I mean uh, beyond that, philosophically. All of us have a lifestyle walk and all of us have a lifestyle talk. By the way, the way you talk can be communicated not just through your words, uh, can be communicated through all other sort of nonverbal cues. And you what you say by how you dress and what you drive and what you wear, are. Clothes uh, uh, speak their own message about us, uh, where we go with our time. These are all ways we communicate our walk and our talk. Can I tell you this evening that the Lord desires to have both of those in line, in the light, walking with Him. That's what He wants. He wants your, the words of your mouth... And the meditation of your heart to be acceptable in His sight. That's what He wants. He wants your talk, and He wants your walk, and He wants them both to be in line with Him and in the light. Is that the case for you, Christian? What What you do when no one is watching, what you say when no one is watching, are those two lined up? Number three, notice our deception. Our deception. So here we have a problem. God is light, but we are born with a bend toward darkness. All of us. All of us. Everyone here is born of the sin nature. Uh, I believe everyone here to be saved. I, I trust everyone here, hope everyone here is saved. If not, I hope you'll get that settled. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. But even if you are saved, there is still a bend toward sin. If I took your Bible and your church away or you were to voluntarily, rather, set your Bible and church to the side, yes, you're saved, can I tell you, give it six months, give it a year, Uh, the most spiritual one in here, whoever that is, you'd be much further down the path of living a lifestyle than you are right now. Why? Because there's a bend towards sin. There's a natural pulling that way. Uh, the Bible describes in Proverbs someone who is a simple man. Those who were born uh, are born simple. Their page is blank. And let's say that side of the room represents uh, the land of uh, the fools and this side represents the land of the wise. Uh, someone is born in the middle. Can I tell you, we're all born. We may be in the middle, but we're all facing this direction. You may get down the path of sanctification a little bit, but it's really easy to turn around and start going back this way. We all desire to do it. We all desire the darkness. every one of us, we all desire to find that darkness, to lose that accountability, to seek that secret place where we can do wrong. And so here we have a problem. God in His nature is light. He's righteousness. Us in our nature, we're bent toward sin. And so how do we bridge the gap? How do we cover the gap? We have two options. We can bring God down to man's level. Or we can bring man up to God's level. That's really it. Either you can continue living in your sin and bring God down to fit your lifestyle. Or you can work to bring yourself up to be like the Lord and walk in his light. Can I tell you that what your flesh wants to do is bring the Lord down to your own level. That's what my flesh wants to do. We we don't want we don't want to forsake we don't want to confess and forsake we want God to match us our deception look at uh, so um, look at verse number six with me if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth you see the temptation in verse six claim that we have fellowship while we walk in darkness you see what's happening here. You see what's happening here? This is where secret sin comes from. John lays out for us a three-stage digression into sinful deception. Here's what happens. Stage 1, letter A, stage 1, we lie to others. We lie to others. Look at at verse number 6. If we say, who are we talking to? We're talking to our believer brethren in the Lord. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. We lie and do not the truth. So we naturally want to sin. That's where our bend is. That's where our fleshly desire is. But we want to appear. So we want to live in darkness, but we want to appear that we're in the light. You know what this is? This is our talk not matching our walk. This is lying. This is telling everyone I've got it all together while I'm really living in sin. This is pretending in church and pretending with my siblings in the Lord and to the pastor and to the deacons and that I've got it all together outwardly while really I'm living in sin. We lie to others. Hey, I've done it. I've done it. I bet you've done it at some point in your Christian life where you've looked one way outwardly, but you've been something else inwardly. We see a three-stage digression into deception. We lie to others. The temptation is to hide our sin from the view of others and then claim that our fellowship with God is real. In other words, walk in darkness and claim... That we are walking in the light. Stage 2, letter B, stage 2. Notice, we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. First, we lie to others. We live in that stage for a little while. And then we digress into the second stage where we begin to lie to ourselves. Oh, we know that it's a sin. Mentally. But spiritually, we've become so calloused and our hearts have become so hard that we have emotionally dismissed it as sin. We may logically agree with the Bible, but the way we're living, we've just come to accept within our own hearts. It really isn't all that bad. We begin to lie to ourselves. Is this not what happened to King David? He he commits adultery with Bathsheba. Bathsheba sends back to the palace and says, "David, you have a problem on your hands. I'm expecting your child. David, you better figure this out and do something about it, or we're both in a lot of trouble." So David brings Uriah back and tries to get him drunk, and 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 and, and Uriah refuses as an honorable man to even go in and see his wife. Say hello to his wife. Sleeps on the doorsteps of the palace. So David puts a note in his hand and has it carried back uh, and has Uriah put on the front line of battle. And Uriah is killed there. David quickly snatches her up and, and marries her and, and, and tries to make it appear as though that in his comforting of Bathsheba, she became pregnant and had this baby. And what is David telling everyone? He's saying, my fellowship with God is fine. He's lying. He's walking in darkness. But he's pretending as though he's walking in the light. Nine months, a year goes by, and now he's not only lying to others... He begins to lie to himself. Well, it doesn't seem that God's going to hit me over the head for this. It doesn't appear that I, it appears I got away with this. Boy, nobody knows. The cover-up was perfect. Uriah is dead. He can't say anything. And Bathsheba, she's not going to say anything because that would make her look bad. And And now my baby is born and everything's okay. He was lying to himself. How bad was it? Well, Nathan came into uh, the uh, palace there and tells him a story. And at the end of the story, he says to David, what should be done to this man? And David says, put him to death! You see David's self-righteousness here? He wants this man in the story killed, while yet he himself views himself as righteous. He's lied to others about his sin, and now he's lying to himself. About his sin. He cannot see that it's a problem. Then we digress into stage three. We lie to God. We lie to God. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Does, does, does this verse mean that we actually convert God Into a liar? Well, no. Clearly not. The Bible tells us in Titus that God cannot lie. Uh, But we attempt to bring God down to our level. We attempt to, instead of bringing ourselves up to walking in the light, now we want a religion where God is brought down to live in our darkness. You see how this is a problem? We want to claim that we have fellowship with God while we continue to live a corrupt and sinful lifestyle. And that God has just now accepted that as being okay. Well, we've convinced others that we're not doing it. Then we convinced ourselves that it's not wrong. Next, we try to convince God that it isn't a sin at all. And that God should just accept it the way it is and have perfect fellowship. The equivalent is Adam and Eve eating the fruit in the Garden of Eden. And then coming out the next day and saying, Lord, we're here. We didn't do anything wrong. Let's go on a walk together. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. You ate the fruit. Now that's not how Adam and Eve responded, but can I tell you that that's how many people try to act. God, my sin isn't a it, it isn't a big deal, Lord. It just isn't a sin at all and we deceive ourselves. We first we deceive others, then we deceive ourselves, then we try to lie to God. Someone once put it this way, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. Secret sin on earth is open scandal. In heaven. Oh, you may have everyone fooled about your behavior. Can I tell you, the Lord knows. He knows every detail. You may have your spouse fooled. You may have your parents fooled. You may have the pastor fooled. You may have the church leadership fooled. You may have everyone fooled. But my friend, you are not fooling God. Secrets on earth is open scandal in heaven. God is light. There are no shadows with the Lord. There are no secrets with the Lord. And my friend, God's desire is not just that you talk about fellowship, but that you walk in the light so that you can have fellowship. What happens to people who go down this digression? Well, eventually they land themselves out of church. Eventually they cannot even... Stand to be around the people of God because they have so self-justified themselves. They'll find one element of their life that's right and they'll cling to that and it's almost they're making a trade with God. Well, because I do this for the Lord, I have an excuse to live in this sin and surely God is okay with that. And no, God is not okay with that. Are we all going to struggle with sin? Yes. How should we handle it? Number four, notice our decision. Our decision. We come to verse 9. Boy, one of the most quoted verses in Christianity. Letter A, notice our confession. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Please don't miss this. This is a very important part of the message. Some of you, your bodies are weary and those chairs are comfortable. Are they not? Don't fall asleep in the chair. Have the person next to you pinch you if you must. When I was a Bible college student, we would have long Sundays. It would be long Sundays. And... Uh, the preacher there at the time, he was a camp meeting style rare back and preached till so his vein popped out in his neck. And I'd still fall asleep. And so somebody gave me, um, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, what's it called? But not uh, You put it on the, your tongue to freshen your breath, uh, little drops of, uh, it's, it's basically like a liquid breath. mint. We would take it, we'd rub it under our eye, and then our eyes would run, and we wouldn't fall asleep. And so we take turns passing it down the road to keep ourselves awake. And we don't we want to get in trouble. So whatever you got to do, stay, stay engaged here because this is really, really important, what I'm about to preach, our confession. First John 1 John 1.9. Can you quote the verse with me if you know it? If not, read it off the page there. Ready? If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We all know it, don't we? What does it mean to confess our sin? Does that mean that I get down on my knees with a list and I read a list to God? No. Uh Uh-uh. Confession is not, well, Lord, I lied again today. And Lord, I, I disobeyed today. And Lord, I had a bad attitude today. All right, let me move on to the next section of my prayer list. That's not confession. That's not confession. Confession is not just admitting wrongdoing. Confession... Confession uh, is instead agreeing with God on my sin. It is seeing our sin the way that God sees it. It is agreeing with God over our transgression. A college seminary student was called into the dean's office after a weekend of sinful living. When the dean questioned the student on his behavior, he was quick to admit that he had done wrong... But then that student quoted 1 John 1.9. He said, since God is guaranteed to forgive, I'm free to do as I wish as long as I come back and confess. Now hold on. You might be blown away that he would say it. Hey, we all live that way sometimes, do we not? We may not come out and be that brazen as if to say it, but we'll go off and do something wrong and be like, well, if I confess, I'm forgiven. That Dean Then asked the student this question, By what act does God have the power to forgive you? The young man looked puzzled at first, and then when he realized where the professor was going, he bowed his head in shame. The dean told the student, Because he is quick to forgive, we should be slow to sin. Because He is quick to forgive, we should be slow to sin. You see, the only way that Jesus is able to forgive you is because He was willing to die on a cross for you. And we want to run out and sin as though it's nothing, and then run to the presence of God and ask Him to forgive us. Are you trampling on the cross in the process of living a sinful lifestyle? Now listen, there's there's accent there there are uh, uh, times where we are weak and we slip into sin and we feel bad about it and we it wasn't premeditated it happened on its own but good night a Christian who goes into sin in a premeditated manner and plans it out and jumps into it knowing I can run to the altar either in my living room my bedroom or even at the church if necessary and tell the Lord I'm sorry and uh, he's guaranteed to forgive me as long as I can confess the only way the Lord is able to forgive is because He hung on a cross and died for our sins. How dare we run over that grace? How dare we abuse that grace? Oh, Christian, may we be slow in our sin. May we be quick uh, to tell the Lord uh, that we're sorry. May we mean it with all our heart. May we take the approach that David took in Psalm 51 when confronted with his sin, and he agreed with God on his transgression. He saw what it did to uh, uh, the future Savior, and he said that uh, you want sacrifice, or rather you want a sincere over-sacrifice. You want a repentant heart. May we truly not only confess, but may we... Begin to put together a plan to turn away from and leave. Letter B, notice his commitment. His commitment. Look back at 1 John one nine. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I don't know of a more reassuring and comforting verse in the entire Bible for a Christian than that. To know that when I really truly am sorry over my sin, and I come to the Lord and I take the time to acknowledge my wrongdoing, and I see it for what it is, to have the guarantee that He's going to forgive me every time, wow, I'm blown away. Being totally honest and transparent Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 18 He said, if your brother offends you 70 times 7 You're still to forgive Folks, I'm not there If you take advantage of me on purpose 490 times Boy, well before we get to 490 I'm going to really have to go to the Lord And have him fix my forgiver I'm not there where I can guarantee you I'm going to forgive every single time. I want to be there. I want to be there, but I don't know that I am. How many times have I sinned against God? And I've come crawling back on my knees. And through tears and anguish, I've told Him I'm sorry and I can feel the comforting hand of the Spirit of God wrap around my heart and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Lord, I don't know how you're able to do it. I don't know how you're able to make such a commitment that when I leave the light and begin to walk in the darkness and I see it for what it is and I... Confess and forsake that you're willing to just invite me right back into the light. I don't know how you're able to do it, but I'm so grateful that you are. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us he does it through his faithfulness. He is faithful. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says this, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. The faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him. This is the part of the verse I get excited about. And keep His commandments to a thousand generations. You know what? He's faithful. A thousand generations removed from that verse, He's still faithful. He's a faithful God and he's made a covenant with us hey Christian if you'll if you'll confess your sin if you'll agree with God over the, uh, the the error over your transgression if you'll agree with God over the darkness of your life and you'll turn from the darkness to walk in the light he will he will forgive you every single time boy if that doesn't move your heart if that doesn't stir your soul if that doesn't give you a reason to shout then something my friend is wrong with you. The Lord loves us. He's willing to forgive us. Not because we're worthy of it, because He's faithful. The word just in this verse means this. It means means one who is qualified by His own integrity. One who is qualified by His own integrity. He's just. You know what? He is worthy of forgiving us. Because He never dropped the ball. He always did what was right lastly let us see notice our cleansing. Our cleansing. Go back to 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 with me here. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Look here, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. You know what this is verse 7? This is the cleansing that happens the day we get saved. This is a one-time transaction. This is our re- eternal redemption. And this happens only once. Now look at verse number 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've heard people use this verse in soul winning and I I know they're well meaning. Verse 9 has nothing to do with God saving a soul uh, at salvation. Verse 9 is written for the Christian. Verse 7 is written for the lost. Verse 9 is written for the Christian. Uh, What is verse 9? Verse 9 is a paternal Cleansing. This is, hey, I'm a child of God and I blew it. And God comes along and says, I'm going to forgive you again and again and again. Each time I break fellowship with the Father, I come to Him. I confess it. And He forgives. Really quick here. I use this when I'm out soul winning and I lead someone to the Lord and I'm explaining to them eternal security. I take them to John chapter 1 verse 12 that says that we become the sons of God. I like that verse in Spanish especially because the word become is the word convertir or to convert into. We convert into the children of God. We leave uh, uh, being children of the devil and we become. We convert into uh, the children of God. I I love that thought. And here's the idea. If my son were to do something atrocious as an adult and disown me and and go through even a legal divorce process and Change his name and commit some crime And fly to another continent and disown me uh, Guess what? Fellowship would be broken But sonship can never be broken Once you've been adopted into the family of God That sonship is permanent And that daughtership is permanent Yes, fellowship with God can be broken over sin But sonship with God can never be broken Once you've been adopted into the family of God Boy, whether or not you like it That, that relationship, that union is permanent but we may come and we, we we sin and we do wrong, and guess what? That fellowship, not relationship, sonship, that fellowship is broken. And God says, if you'll come to me and confess it, I will forgive. I will forgive. I finished the sermon with an illustration. We'll forego John thirteen. Back in the eighteen hundreds, there were a couple of country boys who loved to play a prank on Halloween. They'd go into the backyards where the outhouse was and they'd wait till dusk and they would move the outhouses over three or four feet as to uh, uh, cause someone to walk into the hole in the ground where the outhouse was to be. Or rather, I'm sorry, I'm messing this up, they would tip over the outhouses, they'd go and they'd... Push over the outhouses under the cover of of the dusk or the darkness, and they would do this in random neighbor, random homes. They never hit the same home two years in a row, but they loved to tip over these outhouses and just create a lot of ruckus. And they're junior high boys, at high school boys. They thought it was funny to do so. Well, one farmer uh, I, I saw this coming and knew that it was probably his year, so he went and he moved his outhouse over about four feet. And so these boys, they backed up and they got a running start in order to push over the outhouse. But instead of getting to the outhouse, they first got to the hole. And they landed into the hole where the outhouse had been, and, uh, and and the hole was deep as outhouse holes were. And so they're up uh, chest high uh, in what was in that hole, and covered in feces, and just just reeking and stinking, and uh, had nowhere to go. And and uh, everyone uh, they couldn't go to anyone's house because it, it would be obvious who it was. And so they were forced; these brothers were forced to walk home covered in that slop and that dung and that mess. Well, the dad knew that someone in the neighborhood had been doing this, but he didn't know it was own sons. In fact, he had confronted them and they had lied about it. But now they had no choice but to go face the music at home. They walked up to their home and dad saw them and said, Mm-hmm, you've been lying to me. How many years have you done this, boys? They had to confess and come clean. Dad took the boys out back. He had them stripped down. He had them put their clothes in the burn pile. And he took a water hose. Water from the well, rather. And he poured it over them until they had been cleansed. And once they had been cleansed they were, and punished, they were welcomed into fellowship inside the home. Boy, Dad wasn't letting them in like that. Now this is a crass illustration. Do you know that over and over again Paul compares our sin to dung? How do you smell to the Lord right now? Your secret sin is an open scandal in heaven. You can't walk into the presence of God and have any any bearing with Him until you first confess your sin. Well, I may not know about it, but I'm not the Lord. That that loved one that is close to you and your family may not know about it, but they're not the Lord. The Lord knows. Don't lie to others. Don't lie to yourself and don't lie to God about your sin. Why don't you come clean on it tonight? Why don't you ask the Lord to give you victory? Why don't you make yourself accountable to a dear brother or sister in the Lord? who will help you to find victory and walk in the light. So we can have that fellowship with the Father and that fellowship with each other. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, will there be a reckoning this evening in our hearts. May we stop lying to each other, lying to ourselves and lying to you. Lord David thought he got away with it for quite a while. Until Nathan put his bony finger in his face and said, Thou art the man, David. We're reminded what Moses said, Be sure your sin will find you out. Lord, the goal is to have that sweet fellowship that Adam and Eve had prior to their sin. We may not get to talk to you face to face the way they did, but Lord, we sure can come awful close. Help us, Lord, to confess forsake. Lord, enjoy a renewed relationship with you like we've never seen. In Jesus' name.